0: few weeks. Um, it's been about three weeks since we were last with you and I was talking with you in here. Uh, Pastor Luke did a fantastic job this Sunday after uh, after Thanksgiving, and then Pastor Tony T's did a marvelous job last Sunday as well. But today, we're kind of picking up where we left off. We're going to finish this today. And as I started with this series, I really... Um, I was really hopeful that I could get it done in two weeks, and I thought this is not going to be a problem until I started to get into it, and once I got into it, then I realized that two weeks was not going to be a, po- a possibility, and truthfully, I wish that I had four weeks back to back to back that we could do this because there's so much in the 23rd Psalm. Um, Dr. Rutland came in a few years ago with his new book, 21 Seconds to Change Your World, and, and did a great job with teaching the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer. Some of that Information is in this, but then I run across the book by the name of Philip Keller entitled A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And if you can download that book or find it online, it's an older book. If you can find it and get your hands on it, there's so much more than what I can share on a Sunday morning in service with you. But I would recommend that you get your hands on it and just read it because he literally talks about it from the standpoint he's a sheep herder in South Africa. And he was a sheep rancher for years and years and years. And so he brings out all the little, the little uh, pieces of this and kind of paints a beautiful picture when it comes to the 23rd Psalm. The last time we were here, we concluded with your rod and your staff, how they comfort us. Today, we begin with this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed down through the years, and I've even been guilty of it myself at, at times in the past, and that is when we start reading Scripture we tend to read the Bible from an American mindset. And, and an American mindset, when we start talking about table, we talk about the thing that's in the dining room or in the kitchen, nook, the breakfast nook in the kitchen, or the thing that we see at a furniture store. That has nothing to do with what, this, what this, uh, the writer is talking about here in uh, the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, remember... I told you the last couple of weeks that we have to look at this, not from the eyes of shepherd, but from the eyes of a sheep. Everybody in the house go, All right, good, good. All right. The word table here is a word for a geological formation. If you've ever been out west, anywhere there's a mountain range, especially in the desert areas and stuff like that, there are things known as a mesa. It's a hill that sticks up very high and then the top is just flat. That is a table. That's a part of the tableland. It's a large, flat area that has steep sides to the lower ground level. Now, so what does it mean if he prepares a table uh, for us in the presence of our enemies? Well, the shepherd has to prepare the mesa or the table before the sheep can graze on it. Before the shepherd will take the sheep on the mountain, he'll leave them down in the the valley area on the lower ground. He will hike up to the top. He will go up there to make sure there's no poisonous weeds or plants that they're going to, because a sheep will eat anything. They'll eat anything. So he's got to go up there and he's got to prepare the ground. He goes up and he pulls all the noxious weeds out, of the poisonous weeds out of it. Make sure that there's salt and make sure there's minerals are spread out in strategic spots for the benefit of the sheep. Because sheep will try anything that grows. Now, human nature is a lot like that. So this is kind of an application for this for us this morning. The Lord wants to remove the things. The great shepherd wants to remove the things from us that destroy us and make us sick spiritually. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Predators are scouted out. And then they're taken care of. The reason they take the sheep up on the tablelands, on the mesas, is that is a great viewpoint. It's a great vantage point. You can see the wolves. You can see the lions and all of the other predators from that high vantage point, and you know how to protect the sheep because you're seeing it from the tableland. Predators are scouted out. They're taken care of. The shepherd will clean out the water holes around the mesa, assure the presence of clean water. It's an expensive task. The shepherd is a busy, busy, busy person. Our great shepherd is a busy, busy, busy shepherd. He's not sitting up there going, "Let's see what games on today." Oh, Joe Burrow's won the Heisman last night. I'm woo hoo, Jay. You know, he didn't get distracted last night when when the LSU quarterback won the Heisman. He's a busy God. Being a shepherd is a costly venture. Jesus is our great shepherd. Do you have any idea what being our great shepherd costs Jesus? Well, the first thing is we we recognize the manger in Bethlehem. We're at Christmas season. The manger in Bethlehem. What is that all about? That's Jesus. That's God, the flesh, coming in the flesh and being born as a baby. He left heaven. He left heaven with all the authority he had up there. He comes to this earth as a baby. Philippians talks about how he didn't didn't think that it was uh, okay to be equal with God, so he humbled himself and became in the form of a servant. It wasn't something he wanted to hold on to, so he humbled himself, came as a servant, was born in a manger. So it cost Jesus, the Son of God, the fact that he could leave heaven and come and be born in a manger. It cost him later on in life, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweat great drops of blood, agonizing over his humanity and his divinity and his deity. It cost him Pilate's Hall, where he was accused and accused and accused and accused and beaten and whipped and scourged. And then it ultimately cost him the cross. Being a shepherd is a costly endeavor. And just as the physical shepherd wants to make sure that his flock is thriving on the high, rich, summer range, so our shepherd is pleased when you and I flourish on the tablelands that he has prepared for us. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this, I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. Now, the question I want to ask you right here and right now, and this is just something for you to ponder, are you living a life of abundance? I'm not talking about your checkbook or your bank account. I'm talking about are you living a life of abundance? Are you living a life of contentment and peace and joy? Are you living a life in communication with God? Are you living a life in unity with your brothers and sisters? See, all of this stuff is what Jesus Christ came to give us by paying the price for the manger, the garden, Pilate's Hall, and Calvary ultimately, and ultimately the empty tomb. The shepherd prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The next phrase, you anoint my head with oil. It's interesting as I started reading about this. Summertime is, is when it comes to sheep, summertime is fly time. Flies everywhere. Uh, there's a bunch of parasites that give, uh, give livestock trouble. They're, and I'm not gonna go into all those things. There's just a whole long list of them. But they attack sheep in the summer months and turn summer into a time of torture for sheep. There's something called a nose fly. I don't even like the sound of that. But the nose fly buzz around the sheep's head, and what they want to do is they want to land in the nostrils of the sheep where where it's moist there and lay their eggs and and attach into larvae until the larvae crawls up into the the nasal passages. That's gross. I know we're going to eat lunch in a little while, but this is kind of nasty right now. But they hatch out and they start burrowing into the sinus cavity of the sheep and sometimes actually get on up into the area of the brain. They set up intense irritation, severe inflammation. And from, for relief from this annoyance, sheep will deliberately, they run, they run their heads into trees. They just walk up and start butting their heads against the trees or against a rock or a post or even a bush. And in, in extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself trying to gain Some kind of relief from this aggravation. Advanced stages of the the, uh, nose fly larvae leads to blindness. With flies around, they're restless. They have trouble grazing, and even the baby sheep will go off milking, and lambs begin to lose weight. So what does a shepherd do? You anoint my head with the first thing with the very first sign of flies. A shepherd will apply an antidote. It's linseed oil, sulfur, and tar. Linseed oil, sulfur, and tar. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't smell good at all, but they smear it all over the sheep's nose and his head and they become calm again and they begin to feed. They get used to the stink, I guess. I guess it's better to smell than have flies laying eggs in your nose. All right. So, but when, when the shepherd does this, they, they begin to calm down. Now, so (laughs) application for you and I, you have any irritations in your life? Hmm. That's what I'm talking about. We all have some, Most of us have many. Been doing any shopping lately? I'm telling you, I believe God sent Amazon Prime. I believe it was a gift from God. I really believe that. Because it's kept me out of the stores. But I had had to go to Walmart one afternoon this week. And I'm telling you, and, and I've said this before, but I'm telling you, there should not be a roundabout in Okaloosa County. There should not be a roundabout because no one knows how to use that thing. You know, you, you're, if there's nobody in there, you're supposed to keep going. It's yield. That doesn't mean stop. It means slow down and look before you get there. But no, they pull up there and stop. Everybody stopped. Four people stopped at the roundabout. Somebody's supposed to be going around about. But it didn't happen. I'm sitting there and I'm just going... And I happened to look across the roundabout into Walmart's parking lot, and it kind of looks like this like last round in the end here. There was, there, was, there was no room at the end. I mean, the parking lot it was full from front to back, and I'm just going, this is going to be bad <laughs> because there's only going to be two cashiers in that whole place. <laughs> and so I started praying when I found a parking space. I just started praying, God, please, please help me. I need to maintain my salvation and sanity through the holidays. And I don't want to say bad, thought, bad words and I don't want to think bad thoughts. So please let there be at least three cashiers in Walmart today. Well, there were three. Thank God, he answered my prayer. But the deal is we have irritation. We have irritations in our family, we have irritations on the job, we have irritations in life in general. We all have irritations. So what is the oil that is applied to us? All through scripture, anointing oil. Oil is a, is, a, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in our life that can soothe our irritations that we have in life. Now, here's another piece about sheep that I didn't know. Something called scab. S-C-A-B. Summertime is scab time for sheep. Scab is an irritating, highly contagious disease common among sheep. It's a parasite that is just, it's just abundant in warm weather. It, spe- it spreads through the flock by direct contact. The sheep is kind of like our flu. You got the flu, stay home, okay? Don't walk around sick and hugging on everybody going, God loves you, (coughs) bless your heart. No, go home, stay home, leave the rest of us alone. We'll pray for you from a distance, okay? But here's the deal. Scab is this, this thing that's passed from one sheep to another because of touch, because of contact. Now, one of the things that sheep like to do is they like to kind of rub their heads together in in an affectionate and friendly manner. And so most of the time, scab is found around the head. What do you tell us about scab for? Because in the Old Testament, when it talks about a lamb without blemish, they're talking about a lamb that is free from the disease called scab. And so what the shepherd will do, he'll take the rod and the staff, and he'll use it to begin to part the fur, look all over the head, examine that, and they'll examine that sheep for days on end before it goes to sacrifice. But as a shepherd, you're doing that with all the sheep. Because we have contact with one another. Sometimes we have things that happen in our life. And so we deal with that in a very real and direct sense. Scab is a symbol of contamination and sin in our life. And the only effective antidote is to to put that linseed sulfur and stuff on there. In some countries, people dip the entire sheep in in a solution. They're submerged until their entire body is soaked. But it's the most difficult to get that stuff around the sheep's head. So it's got to be plunged in repeatedly to ensure that the scab is there. Going to be controlled. They take care. Some sheep herders do it by hand to make sure it gets covered. So what does that have to do with you and me? Here it is: in the Christian life, most of our contamination by the world, by sin, that comes in and defiles and disease us spiritually, comes in through our minds. It comes in through our minds. Often when we are dealing with stuff in our minds, we, we, we talk about getting our head together with someone sometime who may not be necessarily having the mind of Christ, so we get scab or, or this thing co- connects itself to us. Do you understand that there is a reason why Jesus died on a place called Golgotha? Golgotha is known as the place of the skull because God knew from the foundation of the world that all sin begins up here in our noodle. All sin begins in our head. It begins in our mind. The thoughts begin to come through our mind. God knew this, and he provided a way that that sin and contamination, that scab of sin in our life can be dealt with if we remain in Christ. Now, another use of this, this ointment, this oil, is during the, se- the rutting season. Rams, when they're, when they're trying to find a girlfriend or a wife or whatever sheep do, You know, they're territorial, they're out there, these two rams are trying to decide who's gonna get all the lady lambs and the lady sheep in the in the flock and everything. So they start fighting and they fight. They don't jump up with their little paws and go, "Eh, eh, eh." they don't do that. They run headlong into one another. Boom. Have you ever seen those big doll sheep, those mountain sheep do that on on the outdoor channel? It's an awesome thing. They hit together, pow. Sounds like it echoes through the hills. And these sheep, they, get, they start trying to pick a mate, and they start fighting, and they start running into one another. And so the shepherd recognizes during rut, so he's got to put this oil, this, he takes axle grease and rubs it on the heads of the rams so that they'll bounce off of each other. They hit, and they don't, they just kind of bounce off each other because it's that slick axle grease. Now, what does that have to do with the church? Here's what, I, here's, what I, here's what I want you to understand about that. Because here's the application for for us this morning. It's cool. We need the oil or the axle grease of the Holy Spirit to help us with our personality clashes. Christmas is just around the corner. (laughs) We all, look, everybody's got that one in their family. Okay? Everybody's got that person in the family that, you know... Everybody kind of gives them a wide berth and all this kind of stuff. Now, if you don't know who that person is, guess what? (laughs) You're probably that person. You're probably that person. But we do need it. Look, we've been talking to you guys about Sabbath Sunday and peace and rest during the holidays. Be careful in your interpersonal relationships. Be careful in your interaction with family and friends during the holidays. Look, if you wait till Christmas Eve at 9.30 to go get your wife something, and you get to the store and everything is gone except a, a box of candy that should have been sold at Valentine's Day, don't get mad at the store. Okay? Look, all I'm saying is this, that just as a shepherd anoints the head of the sheep with oil, with this, with this ointment, The Holy Spirit is in our life to anoint us, to help us when the irritations of life come, and to help us when we have these personality clashes. All right? My cup runs over. My cup runs over. When there is an abundance of forage, when there's fresh still water, when the flies are taken care of, when there's protection from predators and storms, the sheep is in a place of abundance. My cup runs over. Look, you can be going through the most hellish thing that you've ever, that you've ever faced in your life. But if, the, if you allow the shepherd to anoint your head with oil, you will find your place, even in the midst of storms, and a place where your cup just runs over because the peace of God surpasses all understanding. That's the whole thing about my cup running over. When sudden storms, you know, the lambs and the sheep, they get... They get, they get uh, they get chilled, and some are in danger of freezing to death. Now, and look, I, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to go out and buy any of this, okay? But most shepherds that live in a climate where it's kind of cold in the, in the wintertime, when it starts getting on to freezing and stuff like that, they're afraid the, the, the lambs are gonna freeze, they carry a small bottle of brandy in their knapsack. I don't have any with me this morning, I, I, you know? But here's the thing, so when that starts happening, The sheep get lethargic, they get tired, and so the the shepherd will mix a little bit of that with some something, and they will give the give the little sheep just a little bit of something, something, brandy. It warms the sheep up, gives them a little a little bit more energy, and they get them to a place of safety. Now, please don't run out to all the stores this morning and buy everything of brandy in town, and go. Pastor Phil said we can have a little shot of brandy because we're cold. That's not (laughs) what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you have everything you need food, fresh water reprieve from flies, protection from storms and predators then your cup runs over because God has brought you to a place of abundance and our cup runs over because of the peace and tranquility and contentment that we have in God surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life two thoughts on this follow me Follow me. Pursue me is one translation. You know, we heard this, we, we've we read the parable in here many times. We've talked about it a lot. We sing songs about it, about how Jesus would leave the 99 and go find the one. Go pursue the one. You know, and that's what the shepherd does. That's what the shepherd does. If a, if a sheep gets lost, then the shepherd will leave the 99 sheep and go find the one. Now, now here's, here's something I want you to understand, though. I've had that passage used on me as a pastor down through the years. People leave the church. You know, you find out about it months or later or something like that. And someone comes, hey, did you know so-and-so left the church? No, I didn't know. Well, they didn't like this or that. Okay. Well, aren't you going to get in, Are you going to contact them? No. Well, now, pastor, the Bible says the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes to the 1. That is not what that means. The shepherd leaves the 99 for a sheep that sticks his head in the grass and just starts nibbling himself lost. It's not a a sheep that decides to join another flock over the other side of the fence. Look, we're grown people, right? We're grown people. If you get mad and you leave a church over getting mad, that's on you, not on me. I'm not going to chase you because you're not lost. You're mad. And there's a difference. But to follow me all the days of my life is the pursuit of the Holy Spirit to keep us in tune with God, to keep us connected to the faith. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The, the psalmist in another place says, Where can I go from you? If I make my bed in hell, you're there. That's the pursuing we're talking about here. There's two train of thoughts with this follow me. One of them is the pursuit part of it, the other piece is follow me. What do I leave in my wake? What do I leave in my wake? 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. With all this in mind, I've got to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself this morning, is this outflow of goodness and mercy for me to stop and stagnate in my life? If God has given me all of these things, if he is my great shepherd and he has pursued me, and and I have to look back at my life and go, what am I leaving in my wake? When I walk through a group of people, when I have some kind of encounter with someone, what do I leave in my wake? Is there not a way for goodness and love and mercy to pass on through me to benefit other people? Is there not a way to do that? There has to be some positive way whereby goodness and mercy follow in my footsteps and in your footsteps for the well-being of other people. There has to be that. And if there's not going on in us, then we've got to step back and take stop. Why not? When you look back on your life, is there a wake of bleeding and bloody and hurt people? Or on when you look back on your life, are there people that you have been able to speak into their life and they've, they've moved from a place of brokenness to a place of wholeness? If that's, ca- if that's the case, then love and mercy and kindness are following you. It's what's in your wake. What are we leaving in our wake? Now, it is interesting and worth reiterating at this point that sheep under mismanagement can be the most destructive of all livestock. You go back in our history to the days of the old west, it was all about cattle. But then some people started bringing sheep into the cattle ranges and cattle country and there was all kind of range wars and everything else because we didn't understand in those days how to manage sheep. They just grazed until everything was gone and then they moved to another grazing area and they just went and to another place. And so there was a lot of People getting shot and everything else in the early years of our country out in the, in the western area of this, of this nation because of the sheep herders that were coming in. Because they were, and under mismanagement, they are the most destructive. They can ruin and ravage land beyond remedy in a short period of time. That's why they cannot be allowed to graze too long on a certain area. You've got to move them from this place to the other. On the other hand, on the other hand, They can be the most beneficial of all livestock if they're properly managed. Their manure, talking about manure on Sunday morning, here we go. Their manure, maybe you didn't know this, here's some trivia, take it home with you, here you go. (laughs) Is the best balanced of any produced by domestic stock. Yeah. When scattered over the pastures, there's enormous benefit to the soil. The sheep's habit to seek the highest rise of ground on which to rest ensures that the fertility from the rich lowland is redeposited in the less productive higher ground. So done right and managed properly, it reproduces and it turns stuff that's actually been going away into a place of lushness again. But it has to be proper. You can't leave it alone. You can't leave it alone. When that happens, goodness and mercy had followed the flocks. They left behind something worthwhile, something productive, something beautiful and beneficial, both to themselves and to others and to the owner. So here's the question Do I leave a blessing and a benediction behind me? Do I leave a blessing and a benediction behind me when I go? Sir Alfred Tennyson wrote this The good men do, lives after them. The good men do, lives after them. Sometimes we have to just ask ourselves, and I I want you to be thinking about this in the next few minutes. Do I leave behind peace in lives or do I leave turmoil? Do I leave behind forgiveness and bitterness or bitterness? Do I leave behind contentment or conflict? Do I leave behind joy or frustration? Do I leave behind love or rancor? What do I leave behind? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. What am I, what's in my wake? What's in my wake? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, a contented sheep will never seek to leave a shepherd. It's the interesting thing about sheep. If they have food, they have water, they have abatement from the flies, they have protection from the the predators, and they have a place of shelter, then they will never leave the shepherd. They will never leave the shepherd. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does it mean to live in the house of the Lord forever? And I just lost my sermon. (laughs) Hang on a minute and see if I can find it. There we go. Technology is not my friend. There's two ideas about about dwelling in the house. The first one is taking refuge. If you remember reading the Old Testament, it talks about if there's a blood feud going on, if you, if you if someone uh, kills someone, there's a, there's cities of refuge and stuff like this. But it's it's when a blood avenger is pursuing that one might flee to the temple and claim asylum by by grabbing onto the hold, horns of the altar. But here, it's not about that. It has an end-time perspective, okay? But it's not, it's not, a, um, it's not, not solely uh, the end times. It's more about the here and now, where we live right now. And that is, in where we live right now, is this. The term is used to describe the relentless pursuit of the psalmist by the goodness and mercy of God. In this view, the psalmist pursued by enemies chooses to take refuge in the temple and experiences the relentless goodness and mercy of God. The earlier reference to sitting at the table in the presence of the enemy is describes a circumstance of one in asylum who receives the protection and care of God while the enemy looks on. Listen to me. The Bible is clear that we should not fear the one who can just destroy this body. But we should fear the one that can take the soul. And cast it into hell. You say, well, are we scared of God? No, here's what I'm saying to you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. It's not something that happens at the end time. That's another piece. Yes, it, we're going to do that. But there's a place in God that we can find right now. Where when the enemy comes after us, when he's throwing everything he has, every, every ounce of hell from his toolbox is being thrown at us on a day-to-day basis, we can find a place of refuge in God and thereby have peace no one can, people can look at you and go why in the world are you so peaceful with your situation when your kids are going crazy your marriage is in a shambles you've lost your job your health is failing when all this why is it that you can look up and go i still love god god's my source god is faithful i'm going to serve him i'm going to be like job though god take my life i'm still going to serve him why is that because we're dwelling in the house of the lord in the here and now we're dwelling there now but yet we get anxious when things don't go exactly the way we think they should. And when things go wrong with us, whether no fault of our own sometimes, when things go wrong, we blame God. And God, why can't you fix this? And God says, look, I'm here. You have dwelling. You have refuge in me. Just rest. I've got you. I've got you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a peace that passes all understanding people don't understand why you can be peaceful and content when all hell is raging around you. But that's the life of a true believer. You're at peace because you've come to the place where you go, even if I die, I still live. Even if I lose, I still win. I still win. I can be knocked down, but I'll never be knocked out. The second piece, looking back at the faithfulness of God, enables us to anticipate the eternal future. Sheep were guided in their journey through the desert by a caring shepherd. Israel was guided through the exodus wanderings by God who provided for their needs. You look back and connect with a backward glance at the exodus and anticipate the future feasting at God's table. Here's, here's the thing... One of, the, one of the cool things about growing older, there's not a lot of them, but there's some. Looking back now on my life, I have a very clear picture of God's hand in things. When I was younger, I didn't want to look back. All I could see was what was happening right now in the moment. But now at my age, I look back on my life and I see God's hand of faithfulness all through the years. Kim and I have been married 36 years. We can look back after 36 years and we see God's hand of faithfulness through those 36 years. We see where God shows up huge. We couldn't see it in the moment. We couldn't see it in the moment. A lot of you, a lot of you are younger in the house and you're, and you're anxious about what's going on in the world and you're anxious about what's happening with your life and you're thinking, oh my goodness, the world's coming to you. Listen, rest. Just relax. Because when you get a few more years on you, you can look back. And you can see the faithfulness of God. Even at, in your youth, if you'll look, you'll see his faithfulness there. I'll say this, it's harder to appreciate when we're young. I'm not casting any stones, I'm just saying, when some of you get to be 57, 58 years old like I am, you'll be able to look back and go, wow, I see where God held me here. I see where God held me here. And you'll be, remember, remember that old poem that used to be out all the time about the footprints in the sand, you know? You live that after a few decades and you look back and you, it's not just one section of your life where there's one set of footprints, but you, you begin to realize that most of your life is one set of footprints. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And one day when it's all said and done, We're going to sit down to a feast with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the writer says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's stand all over the room this morning. To dwell with God is a powerful image of eternal security and ongoing relationship there is a place in God that we can be that we are eternally secure when we live and walk and li- have our being in God's grace and God's mercy and we live according to his word and we do everything that we can to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because we know the shepherd's got us then we live at a different plane we're not better than anybody else we just have peace just have peace. My prayer for Gen you during this season is that you have peace and rest like you've never had during this holiday season. Sometimes this takes drastic measures. Sometimes you've got to turn the TV off. How I many you have been watching the impeachment stuff? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. <laughs> turn that mess off. Oh, but I've got to know. You'll know when it's all said and done. You'll know. What's important right now is that you live in a place of peace. In Jesus' name, I speak peace over this congregation. I declare peace Peace. over you. Peace Peace on your job. Peace. Peace in your home. Peace with your family. Peace with your marriage. Peace with your children. Peace in your neighborhood. Peace. In the name of Jesus, the strong son of God.